1966, the Chicago Bears drafted the son of a Pennsylvania coal miner in the fourth round. Doug Buffon would go on to play 15 seasons for the Bears and later be named one of the 100 greatest Bears of all time. His allegiance to the Bears never waned, even when he took to the microphone and witnessed some horrendous Bears teams. The fact is, there's not the fear put into him because this game is a lot about fear. You either do the job or you go home and go sell hamburgers at McDonald's. Doug told it like it is, and that's part of the reason his nephew John has dedicated this show to Doug. And now John Buffon is spreading Buffon-branded beratements just like his uncle. Win the football game. You're the head coach. I don't care what you have your fingers in. I don't care what you're meddling in. You're the head freaking coach. We get it. You're the most important guy on the staff. You don't have to keep trying to legitimize that. And he's got pep talks too. I love this team. And I know everyone watching and listening loves this team. So while we may be pessimistic and cynical, every one of us still has hope that the stars will align at some point. And if that ever does happen, you'll be glad you stuck around. John is telling it like it is here on Buffone 55. And joining John are Alyssa Barbieri, managing editor of USA Today's NFL Wires, including Bears Wire. And also Danny Shimon, lead game and draft analyst for the Barroom Network. Buckle up and bear down. This is Buffon 55, The John Buffon Show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Buffon 55, The John Buffon Show. My name is Alyssa Barbieri and I am the managing editor of USA Today's NFL Wires, including Bears Wire. I'm filling in for John Buffon, who is taking some time off tonight. But I must warn you, I'm incapable of producing bulging veins out of my neck or perfectly timed 55-second rants. But don't worry, John will be back soon to do that and more. So our show tonight is going to be a little different. My two counterparts, Danny Shimon, the Barroom's lead football and draft analyst, and Aldo Gandia, the podfather in the flesh, are here to discuss the team's latest heartbreaking <laughs> loss to the Cleveland Browns, preview Chicago's upcoming game against the Arizona Cardinals, and we're also going to be handing out some Christmas presents in the spirit of the holidays. So, guys, are you ready to get this started? I am ready. And somebody's asked, uh, is John Buffon okay? Yes, he's fine. Uh, he just needs a couple of weeks off to tend to some personal business. Uh, but he's in, he's absolutely fine. Uh, I am ready for this, Alyssa. And uh, I got to tell you, listening to that open and listening to John you know, his passionate rants. It's weird doing this show without that voice, right? Without that buffoon voice that, that we've been doing for now for seven years. Unbelievable. Something, something is just missing. I mean, we, we miss John dearly and we can't wait to, to welcome him back. But it does feel a little weird, especially coming off of this game against the Browns where those rants, you know, they were going to be something epic. 
Yeah. <laughs> Listen, the big vein. I'm, I'm sure that big vein was popping yeah, out. The veins. I don't have that, guys. I could try, but yeah, mm-hmm. I don't want. To, that's John's. That's John's yeah. thing. So. Cliff, Cliff asked if I fired John on Christmas week. <laughs> they fire all their head coaches on Christmas week. Is there? That's right. <laughs> You know, John's flying, you know, to Chicago to make sure he's there for the Cardinals game so that they win. No. There you go. That would be nice. <laughs> but I, I, I got to ask, Danny, Danny, you could do the bulging veins thing, man. Oh, no, yeah. I like John. John, John's vein looks like a, like a freeway. It's like, it's like clear coming out of, his, out of his neck, man. It's like, it's like an incredible hawk when he turned green. It's like the big vein. I was like, I can't do that. Yeah, that's pretty intense. <laughs> <laughs> so this show is going to be a little different tonight, everybody. So we're going to kick it off uh, with this. So obviously Sunday's game against the Browns, another blown fourth quarter lead for Chicago. The third time that this has happened under Matt Eberflus this season, which is tied for an NFL record. Of course, all these worst uh, under Matt Eberflus. So I have a question. Was Sunday's game against Cleveland an indictment against the Bears coaching staff? And do you now completely endorse the Bears moving on from head coach Matt Eberflus and his staff? Aldo, let's start with you. Oh, I was hoping you start with Danny. <laughs> I think know where I stand. I think I think I'm very clear on where I stand. Go ahead, Danny. You go go ahead. You have the floor. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, I've been I've been endorsing the the firing of the staff since week three. I mean, I, I I'm not a Matt Eberflus fan. I'm not a fan of his staff. I think I've said that from from day one. I think I've, I've been steady on that. Uh, I, I mentioned on on this past you know past week's uh, post game show on, on Bear Football where I I throughout there like you know the last couple of weeks you know with with the turn in the defense and and some of the 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 way that the players are playing firm I'm like I'm like is this something where it could probably be fixed if you bring in an offensive coordinator opposite of of, of you know Eberflus and him calling the defense someone who can get creative with the talent on a team and could this be something that that you know uh, projects his team to to you know multiple playoff victories so on and so forth and after thinking about it and just kind of going back and forth and just looking at the body of work the entire body of work I I just I am not confident that Matt. I'm confident if he's my defensive coordinator. I'm just not confident if he's my head coach. I just don't. And I, when I mean that, I, I don't see this man leading this team to the next to the next step. Right. What next step is being division champions and then winning a playoff game. And I, I just go back to the week one where they just look like they're unprepared and just look like they're just lethargic versus the Packers and in, in, in a big home game against your rival. Uh, you know, week one, how, how are you not, how are you not prepared for that? And then, you know, kind of that things kind of continue with what the offense kind of looking the way you look bogged down and broken. It took Justin speaking up finally for them to kind of say, all right, let's, let's do what we do best here with Justin and, and, and get some points on the board and get some creativity going. And, and I just, I just, I just do, I think if you're going to do, a, a change, whether it's a quarterback or any other in the position or in an organization. This is a, a very, very pivotal offseason for Chicago Bears. This offseason, if this goes bad, it'll set your franchise back for five years. So this is where if you are going to go out there and you are going to make a change, whether it's a quarterback or within the organization, head coach and all that stuff, you do a clean slate. You bring in everybody. new. Now you can save Ryan Poles if you want. I've been a critic of this as well, but I think he's done enough to kind of merit to keep his job. I think you just bring a new head coach. If you're going to go with the quarterback or keep Justin, which is what I what I'm proposing to do, is bring in a head coach that can come in and and not only just you know coach Justin or or whatever quarterback you have here on the offense, but be a leader of men, be that man in the room that that John and I have talked about before. Someone that can you can confident they can take this team to the next level. I just unfortunately don't think Matt Eberflus and his staff are 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 that is, is that coaching staff. And I think this is the offseason to go ahead and make that complete change, cut ties, and move on. 
I've been thinking about every possible reason to try to get rid of Maddie Reflus because I'm not a huge fan. Now, the 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 resurgence of the defense has given me hope that perhaps he could grow into a head coach. But here's my problem. This performance against Cleveland and the mistakes that are attributable to him, directly to him, and we'll be showing one of the plays where we, we, we know for sure this was a play call that he did late in the game that uh, allowed Cleveland to pick up a first down and third down and 15. These mistakes are attributable to him, and he knows. He he knew that coming into these last few games, he had to perform at an elite level, and he let us down. He let us down with the play calling. He, he he While he had a good game plan for most of the game, there were execution issues that start with the head coach and trickle down. And so how can you trust him in a playoff game? an NFC championship game, a Super Bowl game, if he is making these mistakes now during the regular season when the pressure is on and he's fighting for his job, how can you confidently say uh, he we're in good hands with him during this playoff game if we've managed to back into it? Uh, because right now it, it just doesn't look good for him. Now, I won't make my final call on whether he should go or not until after these two games because there could be something that could change my mind. But at this point, if the season ended today, right now, I'd be calling him into my office and I'd be saying, thank you for everything. I wish you and your family the best of luck, but please get the fuck out of here. Oops, sorry. <laughs> I couldn't have said that any better. Aldo, but Alyssa, I want to hear your I want to hear your take first. Yeah, no, but I'm also curious too, like Aldo, like when you're like something could change your mind. But mm -hmm. I do think like, you know, last week and like we had a whole bunch of optimism on this show last week, which was really weird, right? And it all was dependent on the outcome of this game. And it, it would have been one thing if they were competitive throughout the game and they lost a close one because that happens in the NFL. But the way that they continue to lose, it's the same way. When you have so many of these historic and franchise worsts, you know what I mean? Like, like a franchise and NFL worsts, I mean, in two seasons, it, it, it's rough. And the way that they continue to lose. Last week, I was entertaining the idea of him coming back as head coach next year, right? Because obviously dependent on Justin Fields as he continues to improve, I was here to, to run it all back, right? And now I'm just, I'm iffy. I'm more like, let's just clean house now. I, I've seen enough. It's it's like just when I'm starting to trust him, he goes back to the same old Matt Eberflus ways and they continue to lose in the same way. It would be one thing if this was his first season because we were giving him and we were giving Luke Getze those excuses or that, you know, giving that last year when it was their first season, but now it's a different ball game, and like, like John, uh, sorry, like Danny was saying, um, it could set your franchise back now. And but I do think when you look to the future, you have to get everyone on the same timeline. I do feel like if you do move on from Matt Eberflus, you're probably moving on from Justin Fields, even though I would like to bring him back. But at this point, if I had to make the decision now, I would say let's just clean house, get rid of him. But I am curious, to, uh, Aldo, like what is the thing that could change your mind? Uh, as for why the Bears should retain him next year? Well, it would be the performance of the team. If you get these guys for these last three games to go out there and play at a high level, win all three games, the offense is starting to run, then you, you have to start to wonder is, okay, this is taking longer than it should be, but 
I can understand because of the injuries in camp, because of the new roster and getting people together, and because of uh, HR issues with a couple of coaches and so forth. There was a lot of things up against him, things that he's to blame for and the general manager is to blame for because when the general manager approved the head coach and the coordinators, he didn't have any thought whatsoever on succession planning in case somebody got sick, one of the coordinators got sick or, you know, heaven forbid an accident or getting arrested or something. I don't know. It could have been anything, but that's on Pose. But it's also on Eberflus because he selected these people of questionable character um, and endorsed them for, for the job. So, I, I do think that the performance of the team over the next three games could have a determining factor, but it would have to be almost three flawless performances, especially against Green Bay in the season finale. And and for me, Aldo, that, that was one of the questions I had, and Alyssa asked it was was you know what in these last three games for you would would make you change your mind because it, whether they win these three games or even if they lose all three games, it's it's the man is who he is, right? He's not doesn't give me confidence. It doesn't sound like he gives you confidence in terms of taking this, this organization to the next level, right. And, and being that man that, that can lead them to the division, you know, division titles and all that stuff. So, but the other thing for me is, and everyone talks about the improvement of the defense and yes, the defense has improved under him. There's no doubt about it. They're, they're one of the better run defenses in the league that, you know, his, his design pressures have, have been, have been working. They've been creating turnovers. That's great. But still, and I've been I've been harping on this on 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 here, and I've been on after the post game show, and now finally the media is picking up on it. Three three double digit uh, leads in the fourth quarter, and his and his defense has helped him call these these defense, and they lost, they blew these leads. So how great of a defense does he have here? Does he have a good defense? Sure. Does he have a great defense? No. Can you bring another defensive coordinator that can run a four three and be just as successful? Yes. But the thing is, overall, as a as a head coach. Can he lead this team and be successful? And I have no faith in him and being able to do that. And the, the other thing with with him is is just when he's up there, he's just always wishy washy. He never gives the. And I'm saying I'm not saying spill the beans and, and give everything all the secrecy and all that stuff. But he just doesn't give you confidence in terms of what, how he's responding to the media. You have you need someone up there that you know. Look look at Mike Tomlin, right up there. He, he tells he might you know he won't tell you everything, but he'll, he'll at least be you know be direct. He'll tell you what what he's on his on his mind and how he's going to fix things, or at least have a have an idea on how he's going to fix things. Also, the other thing was with Iberflus, a lot of people give him credit for was the fact that this team kept fighting through all the adversity early on. And he went on this little mini, you know, two game streak here and all that stuff. But now after the game uh, on Sunday, you hear defensive players questioning the play calling, you know, as something that looks like they were, they're just, there's just, it wasn't just a one-time thing. There's something that's been building up inside them. So this is maybe multiple, you know, seasons, couple of seasons now, multiple games that they're just, aggravated and finally that game just kind of broke it and like we saw leaders from eddie jackson to justin jones to uh some of the other players you know could question in terms of you know why a certain plays were called and, and and why you know coaches don't trust them or something like that i think i forgot how they was put up put out there but it, it was the first like chink in that armor that this that this guy might not have the entire you know um team following and believing in him so that could if that trickles into these next couple of weeks, that could determine, you know, maybe what, what happens here. But that to me was, it was a telltale sign. It might be a minor thing, who knows, but it just, that to me, that comes out from, from your leaders on defense because it's been building up, not just because of one game. 
it's been building right. up over weeks. So that to me is another uh, tale that maybe this team isn't truly buying into him and really isn't truly into you know playing for him and a change needs to be made. Yeah, then you have guys like Darnell Mooney and DJ Moore coming out and talking about how they got really complacent and too comfortable in the third quarter. Because, yay, we're just happy to be leading. Like, really? That's the mindset. They, I mean, That's yes, crazy. you have a really good defense that, I, I mean, considering how the defense had played over the last few weeks, you know, yeah, that probably would have been enough points. But, I mean, it's just like when you hear those kind of things, and like Danny was talking about, like the defensive guys coming out and saying that, Matt Eberflus, great defensive coordinator, great defensive coordinator. What he's done with this team, I mean, we we, get, we have given him credit. We will continue to, but his job is head coach. Mm-hmm. What the what does uh, what do you guys both think about uh, why Danny wants polls gone? John Falsetta is asking. Well, for me, it's it's the with Ryan polls. He he lost me when he, when he came in and he started rebuilding this team secondary back in the defense, right? He started with his first two picks for secondary players. And then this offseason, he went and he got linebackers and, and not, and then finally, you know, in the drafts in the second and third round started, you know, attacking the defensive line. Now he's, he's gone ahead and made that Montez sweat trade, which, which has made a, a huge difference. Uh, a part of the part of this bears resurgence, uh, but also the, going back to the, to the hire of, of, of the, of the, this, this, you know, this coach and this coaching staff, Although you made a great point, you know, Poles was hired. Uh, I forgot what the date was, but in two days later, he, he hired Matt Eberflus, and I think this was another one where it was the you know Bill Polian had had kind of urged him to kind of look at Eberflus, and he gave Eberflus a shot. I don't think he went through the entire you know uh, process and, and actually picked that coach that he was going to comfortable with. But again, Aldo made a great point where he brought in a, a first time you know head coach. And and uh, you know Alan Williams, the defensive coordinator, and then a first-time offensive play caller, and then a first-time quarterback coach, and th- there was nothing, no backup there. So if, if God forbid, some one of them got sick or hurt, you know, or, you know, or you know, had to get fired because of HR reasons, there's no one succession plan on there. There was there's no pre-planning, being prepared for what could happen here with that coaching staff. And I think that's all falls on polls. Obviously, Eberflus takes a big huge of it because he brought in those guys, but polls also is plays a big part in that as well. So I think that goes on polls as well. I think what really broke the dam for me was after that week three loss to the KC Chiefs, you know, again, I don't know if it's the front office. I don't know if it's the, I don't know if who it was in the coaching staff, but somebody in the league to Jake Glazer that Justin Fields was, they, the Bears were not sold on Justin Fields, right? And right there, that to me was greasing the wheels to to lay Justin Fields out as the scapegoat for, for the season that had already started 0-3. And that to me was like, that that's a dirty, you, you did this kid dirty, I believe, previous season where you tore down the, the entire roster, which we know you were going to do, but you gave him nothing to work with. You gave him nothing to work with. You had him go out there, take beating after beating, and basically be the only playmaker on offense for you last year. You come in this year, okay, you get DJ Moore, you make a couple additions to the offense line, fine. But I just to, to throw him under the bus like that early on this season, after three weeks, to me was was the, doing the kid dirty. For a, a kid that, that the entire team loves and, and backs up from defensive players to offensive players, I think that just really set up set a bad taste in my mouth. It would have been so much easier to throw Luke Getzey under the bus too instead of Fields. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I got. I do disagree. Uh, J2K agrees with you, Danny, about you know building from the outside in that that was a mistake. But I agree with Ralph. Do you remember how bad the secondary was before polls? I mean, and he said it at at, at his press conference. He said when we evaluated the 2021 team, we saw that the secondary was a shambles, and we needed to fix that. And then when you add, if he is really 
paying uh, attention to his board, if he's got a cornerback ranked at 22 and the next defensive lineman or next person in the trench is at 28, 35, and so forth, and there's other players that could put, that the value isn't that big of a disparity down at 40 or 50, then you have to uh, pay attention to the board. That That's our highest graded guy, Kyler Gordon and Jaquan Brisker. To me, you got to do it. I, I agree. I agree in terms of not overdrafting guys. It's because of position, full of position need. That totally is, is 100%. I'm on board with you. But you tore down this, this roster, and, but you can bring in veteran free agent. You can bring in guys that can come in and help compete. This defense is predicated on your front four getting to the quarterback. Without that front four getting to the quarterback, this defense sucks, right? And then you go ahead and you – okay, so fine. You draft the secondary guys, which I didn't agree with, but whatever. You've got your secondary guys. But then sup supplant the front – the defensive line with some – some veteran free agents, some guys, I'm not saying go break the bank for the high price free agents and all that stuff. I'm just saying bring in guys that can be, you know, solid players that because you know this defense is built on the front four. So basically what you're saying is I'm going to build from the back front, right, go from the secondary to the front and not care what my defensive uh, uh, you know, minded head coach runs or wants. That's that's to me that, that to me like and I'm always I'm always going to be a guy that I attack the trenches. Right. I always want my offense and defensive lines to be stout. I've said it before. If your offense and defensive line suck, your team sucks. And I don't care if you have great safeties and great corners, but if you have no front four providing pressure, there's not, those corners and safeties are going to be toast. And we saw that early in the year, right? Until Montez Sweat got here, those corners were getting beat, whether it's Jalen Johnson, whether it's you know, whoever was back there. You know, there were no turnovers were being made, right? The linebackers looked like crap. All right. So, and that, that's things up. But now you got a guy up front making pressure, providing some of that pressure. And I, I, again, Montez Sweat doesn't doesn't come available every every so often. He wasn't available last off season, so you strike with irons hot. I get that point. But but you got to be able to bring and start building that defensive line. And he didn't do it last draft. He thought he'd start doing it a little bit of this draft. And that's where I think as an, as an as a GM, you got to build your offense and defensive line first. And that's what was my hope when Poles was was you know brought in here because he had a former offensive lineman. He would know that, right? He he didn't do anything with the offensive line at, at all in the draft. Waited till the fifth round to start making some picks there because he didn't address the offensive line there as well. No, no other free agency. Actually, his best move was towards the end of training camp where he picked in, picked up Riley Reef as a veteran tackle. And he ended up being the best right tackle last year as well. So that that, that really bothered me. It's like, you, you know, you're going to fortify. You have to try and start fortifying this offense. Even if it's for one year, at least give up, put a presence out there that can help your, de your defensive minded head coach and also help these young quarterback that you're trying to supposedly, you know, develop or, or, or get a gauge on in terms of if he's, is he the guy or not? So that to me was, 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 you know, malpractice in terms of as a, as a GM. Now, He's made some moves, you know, this offseason with the offensive line, you know, shoring some of that up. It looks looks like you guys got some pieces there in place, right? DJ Moore talked about uh, resigning Cole Komet, you know, bringing him on test. So he's made some positive things as the years progress. So, you know, I'm I'm less adamant about getting rid of polls now than I was back then. But Iberflus for me and his staff have to go. Yeah, no, I, I agree there when you're talking about addressing those needs, like Aldo was mentioning in the secondary. But my issue was in his first year, too, he was all defense and he failed to address like Danny. Danny mentioned, obviously, the offensive line and receiver last year. And obviously it took a little bit of time, but there was a lot of focus, obviously, on the defense because of Matt Eberflus coming in as well. Um, but I mean, I'm at this point, I'd be OK if they decided to clear house i'm not on the fire poles train though but if that's a decision that kevin warren wants to make I i'd be all for it but i do like that i'm starting to see poles's vision 
I know we're in year two here. I'm starting to see what he's doing. I just, I disagree with like how this, maybe the steps that he's gone about it, but I want to give him a little bit more time. We're in the second year here. He's, he's acquired some guys. He's starting to hand out contract extensions to some of these guys that are, that are really playing well. Jalen Johnson hopefully is next. Um, but yeah, I'm starting to see once you see when Ryan Pace gets seven years, I mean, let's get polls a little more than two years, unless that's what Kevin Warren wants to do. I, I, I got to believe that Ryan Poles made it very clear to George McCaskey that this was going to take a while. You know, this is a yeah. rebuild. So the first year, I mean, don't expect much, maybe four or five wins, and they got three. The second year, you're going to start to see see signs of, of improvement. And, and we have. I think he deserves to come back to fulfill what was – what was what he probably pitched a three or four year rebuild, and with some luck, um, he will, you know, see the benefits of some good drafting and some good player personnel decisions, and this team will be a playoff contender next year. I do blame him for a number of things, some of the things we've already talked about, uh, and uh, if in week 17 they lose against the falcons or if they lose two in a row or three in a row now with the cleveland browns game then ryan poles needs to show the fans that this will not be tolerated and he needs to fire matt eberflus before the season is over because there is value in changing coaches uh so that way, the players, if, if Justin Fields has a different offensive coordinator for the last game of the season or the last two games of the season, at least we can see him perform under different a different play caller, a different voice in his ear. You know, so I, I'm not for those kinds of firings in the middle of the season, but if you're out of the playoffs and you're playing miserably and you know you're going to start making some changes in the offseason, those changes can and should start before the season is officially over, so that way you can get a taste of what can possibly be. At the very I mean, least, you think we're talking a Luke Getzey being fired at the end of the year if they decide to bring Heber Flues back? Mm -hmm. At the very yeah. least. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I yeah. think that's what they're starting to get up for now, where, where Getzey is, is probably going to be the scapegoat, probably Getzey, and, yeah. and hopefully not, but, but maybe Justin Fields as well. I think that's what they're going to set up so they can buy themselves some more time. Yeah. Which I think is a mistake. Now, I think that's a, that's a mistake if that's what they do. Yep. Yeah, I, all I'm right. all for fields back. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you ready to uh, look at some of the plays from uh, Cleveland's game? You're going to get depressed, and oh, maybe no. maybe Probably we will see good. some. <laughs> maybe we will see some bulging veins <laughs> out of you too. <laughs> all right. So what I did is I selected four sequences from last Sunday's game, trying to determine, you know. Where did it all go wrong? And there were, of course, a lot of different plays that, you know, attributed to the loss. But I wanted to get everyone's opinions, people in the chat room and everyone here, their thoughts on which was the one play that if you could have back, you think it would have changed the result of the game. All right. I already, I already have the play, but hopefully, let's see if you have it. Me too. <laughs> all right. I've got four. Now, this first one is... A sequence where back-to-back -back there were dropped interceptions. And I'm telling you, it was really back-to-back. -back. TJ Edwards, number 53. This ball's going to go almost through his whole body. We were talking about Madden. You know, sometimes yeah. there's like a glitch in That's the game. That's a glitch, yeah. Look at that. Oh. That's, a, okay. that's not really his game. 
Second and seven, and it's almost intercepted by Jalen Johnson. Amari Cooper turned into a Pro Bowl defensive back for a play and ripped it out of the hands of Johnson. There's Flacco to the right, looking in the end zone. Throws, jump ball, Najoku pulls it in for the touchdown. Okay, so we had two opportunities to at least extend the game to 10 to 0. But because we didn't capitalize on any one of those two interceptions, they go down and score a touchdown and tie the game. So that's the first scenario. It happened early in the first quarter. Here's scenario number two. We all know this one. Why didn't you kick the field? I'm going to keep the offense on the field on fourth down. This is right at the, the range for Cairo Santos. They've got four well, seconds got to go in a timeout. You can't. Oh, man. Nope, they're just going to air this one out. So they're going to turn down a long field goal try and go instead with a long Hail Mary to the end zone. The jump ball deflected around, and the pass is going to be intercepted. All right. So that's what happened there. That's That was sequence two. Now, sequence three is there was a point where uh, the punt returner for the Bears must the ball. The Browns get the ball back. Flacco immediately throws an interception to Stevenson, and the Bears get the ball back and proceed on an eight-play drive, and they get down to fourth and one. This fourth quarter, remember, they didn't kick the 55-yarder at the end of the half, went for it on fourth and four. Now they're going to go for it on fourth and one. Play fake, Fields going to run, and he dives forward. Oh, I don't know. There? I think he's short. He's of Mitchell knifing through on the inside. Watch. Oh, he just tapped him a little bit, and he tried to put the ball in his left hand and dive for it. I think he's just a hair short. The elbow is down, yeah, and based elbows. on that. Okay, so uh, clearly we know that uh, he didn't make the first down, and clearly that was huge. And it was also, in my opinion, huge that he just didn't love the ball to DJ Moore for an easy six points. But we'll talk about that more later. Here's the, four, the fourth and final sequence. And it is, of course, I think this is the one that Danny was referring to. Third down and 15. Let's send our big 325 defensive linemen to guard a tight end. <laughs> See if they get any more man-to-man. Third and 15. Flacco off his back foot. Najoku is there. He's got the first down and more. Spinning down the sidelines. The tight end inside the 20 before he's twisted out of bounds at the 19. It's going to drift just slightly to the right at the very end and held on. This is almost identical to the game last week. They tried to bring four-week pressure with the Jacksonville Jaguars and Joe Cool. As cool as the other side of the pillow just floats away from it. All right. You weren't kidding. This is this is just bringing back <laughs> bad memories. And now I, I also we need to listen to Mark Sanchez again on Sunday against the Cardinals. So sorry to deliver that. Oh, news. my gosh. He is so bad, in my <laughs> opinion. Uh, He's horrible. Great looking guy. But man, the words oh, that come out of his oh, mouth. Yeah. <laughs> All right. uh, he needs uh, he needs a haircut and a brain transplant while he's at it. But anyway, Alyssa, why don't you give us your thoughts on those four sequences? And was there one that you could definitively say that was the play? 
Yeah, I had two of those four definitely in my mind. Uh, I, I, I throw out the first two just because at that point it's before halftime and, you know, this game, there's still plenty of game left to left to be played. But I think it was the fourth and one for me, regardless of whether you wanted Chicago to go for it or if you wanted them to settle for what would have been a long Cairo Santos field goal. Um, you know, there were a couple of big plays uh, that impacted the outcome of this game, but I'm not going to blame the defense for this one after they were the reason that the Bears were in this game to begin with and that they scored seven of the 17 points. But that was a momentum shifter, that fourth and one, the failed fourth and one conversion. Just It was literally the first play of the fourth quarter. And I knew as soon as uh, the clock hit zero in the third quarter, I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. I wouldn't even say it out loud. I'm like, here we go. I, I know it's coming now. We'll see. We'll see. And they didn't even give us a little acclimation period before they just became the fourth quarter bears. And just that it, the entire sequence, I mean, it, it was it was the momentum shift for me. I mean, if Darnell Mooney would have just made that block, man, Fields is gone. Uh, and then like Aldo mentioned, we'll talk about too. He also had DJ Moore. I'm not even mad about the offense, like the play call itself. Cause I think that, you know, whether he would have had uh DJ Moore or even if, if Mooney had made his block fields would have had that easily. So I'm not even mad about that. It's just, just the execution of it. And again, like Darnell Mooney and the whole situation, how it flipped the game. Cause after that it was Cleveland all the way. And it just, it was the antithesis of the Matt Eberflus era. They fall apart in the fourth quarter. And I knew it. I knew it was coming. And I mean, I I know the one Danny's going to talk about, and I I definitely agree with it there, but I can't blame the defense for this. The offense was just absolutely atrocious. And I I feel, though, that fourth and one, like I said, the momentum, and that that was it for me. First of all, I'm very hurt that both of you guys don't know me that well, because I also went with sequence number three, unless I'll just like you. That was the momentum shifter. That was the right there, 17-7, Bears get that first down. You know, and they're going to continue trickling down the football field, most likely. At least get another, another, you know, get in field goal range. Maybe Eberflus' defense blows another, another lead. Who knows? But I think that just gave the Browns so much momentum. And then, then they went down and they, they got the field goal there, made it 17-10. And then they, they were within, within the score. I think that would just shift the whole, whole game around. And in terms of the actual play and throwing it at DJ Moore, that play, this is where. This is where watching tape with with context really matters. That was an RPO play. That was either give it to the running back or you keep it, Justin Fields. And he kept it. And that was the play. So if he goes ahead and, and he now he, he ad libs, ad libs, and he tries to throw the ball, it's fourth and one. Just get the one yard. So I'd rather him just go get that one yard. If that block is if half an effort by Darnell Moyne to make that block, that's a first down. You throw the ball over to, to DJ Moore, you never know what happens. It could get dropped, and then next thing you know, you like everybody's like, "Oh, you had the first down. Go get the first down." So that that was the play there. Now you're talking about ad libbing, ad libbing, and and going off the script. I know it looks it looks, like, you know, like it's a clear touchdown here. But again, he's trying to get to that first down, trying to get outside wide enough. And I think that to me is a Darnell Mooney failure there to try and you know and and at least give a, a better effort on blocking. Now Mooney says he was trying to block to get to spring DJ more open. So that, that was, that was who he was trying to get. And then I guess Cameron Mitchell has made a great play, but again, that play, you get that first down there. I think that pretty much now you can matriculate down the field. And now you can go ahead and, and continue, you know, putting some points on the board. And I think that that finishes the game. See, my problem uh, is, and, and I also picked that play. It's that we have been praying for 
Justin Fields to build that killer mentality where he crushes opponents, where he protects leads, where he comes back from behind to win games and so forth. And that was a moment there. We could probably identify a half dozen moments this season where he just didn't do the play that a superstar quarterback does. Now, I'm not sending him away because of that. I'm just saying that if I'm his quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, I'm sitting down with him and I'm saying, we've taught you on these RPOs to keep your eyes downfield. You should have seen that all it took was a flick. uh, You could have lobbed it up and DJ Moore would have easily run under it in stride and taken it all away for a touchdown. These are the big plays we demand of you, Justin, that we expect from you, that we are coaching you to do. You you cannot, you know, uh, all of a sudden take the entire, there's so many failed quarterbacks in this league because they try to take too much burden on themselves. And that's what he was doing there. He was trying to run for the first time when it was clear that the easiest and most productive option would have been to pass it to uh, DJ Moore. But if he tries to throw DJ Moore, if he overthrows him or the or DJ drops the ball, and, and then he's going to get reamed the next day in film study because he had opportunity to get the first down running the football, and instead he threw the ball, and he went off script. And that's where you know, players get reamed in front of the team for going off script because they say, if you just held on to the ball, get the first down, and then we'll move on from there. So that's the thing is like, and then we don't know if he saw, I don't know if this has been brought up, been brought up after the, the game or if there's anything, you know, ju- that Justin's been asked about, you know, did he even look down and see DJ coming off? Because no, he's got a defender coming at him. He's trying to get the first down. So a, a couple of things, I haven't heard his defense on that. Um, I don't know if, if we have anything on, on that, Aldo, if we, if, you know, post game or anything like that. Um, no, unfortunately at, we don't. At, at that point, he's going off script. And now if he, the ball's dropped or he throws it air and pass, no first down, ball turned over, and he gets reamed the next day in, in film study. But if it's a run, uh, quickly, if it's a run pass option, why would he get reamed if the option he chooses is throwing it to a wide open receiver? I, I believe it was either give it to the running back or you run with it. I think I think, I think that was the option on the, on the run. If I, if I remember correctly, post game, how he explained it, you, you get, either give it to the running back or you take off with the ball. I think that's how it was explained uh, to the media all right well we'll have to look at that because to me it just doesn't make any sense why send dj Moore out there i mean i don't know it's just i want a quarterback who is going to make these big plays you know why because i've never had one in my life he gets the first down it's just this, this the corner just made a play where he just touched his feet and then he lost his balance yeah. and he went down but nine out of ten times he gets that first down easily yeah i was gonna say that's the kind of play that we expect justin fields to make that's the kind of play that you're gonna call in that circumstance because mm-hmm. you know that he can get that and he has gotten that first down before so just l- like we said before darnell mooney just like the effort i i feel bad saying this i, I mentioned it before but um I got like Chase Claypool effort vibes from him in that game, and I didn't like it. You you want to get Chase Claypool vibes? Look at George Pickens last week uh, versus. <laughs> oh my gosh, Chase Claypool vibes right there. Yeah, and I, somebody in somebody in the chat room brought up Mike Tomlin might be available. Uh, he would be great for the Bears. I disagree. I think Tomlin is at a point in his career where he needs to go to broadcasting or he needs a sabbatical. He needs to take some time away from the game because he's just not doing a good job with discipline, uh, especially, especially in those two wide receivers, Pickens and Deontay Johnson. Those guys are loafing. I mean, you talk about hits. 
that they 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 don't know anything at all about hits. <laughs> I'm surprised. Although I thought you'd yeah. be all for Tomlin, the fiery, you know, intense coach. But I I, I tend to agree with you. I, I think I think coaches that are, I, what's his? How long has he been there? 15, 17 years. I, I don't remember how long he's been there wow. for a long time. I mean, uh, I mean, I remember, I remember when he was hired, he was a baby face and and, and young assistant. I think thirty three years old. Look at him now with the beard and everything. I'm swearing on him. Yeah, it's, it's it's like he's he's like he ran for president. You became president. You get all gray and everything, you know, old. But anyway, yeah, right. although I agree with you, I thought Ben Roethlisberger. head coach. I think someone who's been there for so long, you need a little bit of a, a reprieval, just kind of kind of get away. And look at Bill Cowher. Bill Cowher, the same thing. Everyone said he was going to step away and go on TV for a year or two, and you know what? He enjoyed TV better than mm -hmm. coaching, and he ended up doing that for the rest of his life. You know, so I, I think that's something that, that even though I would love a Mike Tomlin type head coach. But you're right, the, the Antonio Brown stuff, the George Pickens stuff now, there's other things that's happened there and that, that's been kept quiet by the Steelers organization. The inability to pick a good offensive coordinator, you know, that, that's all been been stuff that's been kind of, you know, percolating there in, in Pittsburgh. I don't think they'll let him go, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm actually surprised by your answer. I'm, I'm surprised because you like those kind of coaches, Aldo. You want those fiery, no, no BS kind of coaches. Yeah, I, I, you know, Dan Campbell is rubbing off on me. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he's the greatest strategic no. mind. What? Different <laughs> problem, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I don't think that you know Campbell uh, is the perfect coach. But I do like that fiery attitude. You know, and and also you need position coaches who bring some fire too. When those wide receivers are saying that they were getting complacent on the on the sideline, the wide receiver coach and all of the position coaches should be keeping their players focused on the game. That was one of the coolest things about Dan Campbell that I included in one of the preview videos was that he was addressing the team and it was at an ex their final exhibition game and he told the veterans, if I see you out there looking at the stands and waving the mom and so forth, I'm going to lose my shit because you've got to respect the players out there that they're playing hard, they're trying to win spots and I don't think we have that in Chicago and haven't so, had it for a long time. With that complacent comment, and I don't know, and maybe someone followed up, but I, I haven't heard it. Like, I would drill Mooney on that. Like, like are the players complacent? Is, mm -hmm. is the staff, in terms of, is Getsy and his play calling complacent? Like, I, I want to know what he meant by complacent, you know, because I, I don't I don't think the, the players were complacent. I, I mean, they still were out there playing hard, to, to, you know, from what I, I could see on TV, right? So, right. you know, is he throwing his, his teammates under the bus? Is he throwing his coaching staff under the bus? I wish someone had followed up and said, all right, who was complacent? You know, specifically, was it the play calling? Because because I could see, and it's happened before, where Getsy has gotten conservative with a lead just to kind of hold on to the lead and let his defense kind of get, and, and then he's kind of gone into a shell. And then last minute, says, oh, we, we got to throw the ball now. So it throws it three, three straight times. So that's the thing with Luke Getsy. It's, it's just a game plan. And we touched, Coach T and I touched on it, you know, post game. The first 15 scripted plays, Whoever's helping him do that, or if it's if he's on his own, you know they're they're good. They're, you know look, he's 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 in his bag, right? And then after that, he just loses his his crap. He loses his mind, and, and especially when you put him in a, under pressure to go ahead and get a first down or, or a big drive, I just think he doesn't know what to do, what to call. And, look, and it's like me going playing Madden and just scrolling through all the plays and picking a play out just randomly. I think that's what that's what it is, and that's why I, I would love to have someone that that's an innovative design play caller that can knows how to do this and, 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 and have him work with a quarterback like Justin Fields. Mm. Is that Good so much stuff. to ask, too much to ask for? Like, Apparently. really? We just want competent coaching in Chicago, but, you know, as Bears fans, 
we know better. So let's go ahead and let's get back to last Sunday's game against the Browns. The Bears defense had another dominant performance against Cleveland. And they're the reason Chicago was in this game for a good while. And they scored most of their points. So I'm curious, what impress, what has impressed you the most about this defense since their turnaround? Aldo, let's start with you. Well, when I was putting together clips for the show, uh, it it crystallized for me that that third quarter of the Chicago Bears defense was probably one of the most perfect quarters, maybe the best quarter of football I have ever seen a Chicago Bears defense. And I'm going back to the Dick, Dick Butkus days. Yeah. They were pressuring Flacco. They were getting their hands on balls. They were just dominating, which is what why this victory was, uh, this defeat was so emotional to me because we really let down that defense. And let's put it perfectly. I don't, I don't want to blame anything on the defense because they played so well, especially that third quarter. And so I, I, I do think, you know, and I, I know we've been very critical of Iberflus, but he is, it does appear that if he has the players that that defense calls for, then that defensive system can be effective. If he were to have uh, Jervon Dexter at year two or year three playing that three tech, he could, that defense would be even stronger. If he had another pass rushing defensive end outside of Montez Sweat, if he had a more experienced uh, defensive back as opposed to Tyreek Stevenson, and if Eddie Jackson was the Eddie Jackson of old, this defense, which has been playing top five, top 10 the last uh, several weeks, could probably be top one. Uh, and I don't think that's hyperbole. Uh, but he, so he hasn't had the players, but we are seeing some very positive results. And so, you know, I, I would challenge Danny, who's, who has said this cover two defense is an old defense. It is an old defense, but there have been adjustments to it to make up for its deficiencies, particularly in the middle of the field. Yeah, we've seen Eberflus do that with with his pressure packages. You know, whether it's you know disguising his pressure, bringing the safety with his brisker, or or bringing some a nickel corner and like like a Kyler Gordon or or you know we don't real effective is bringing that that linebacker and TJ Edwards, and that's that's really helped him out here as well. So I think we he's seen some alterations here to that to that to that cover too, which is which is great. But for me, although it it all comes down to finishing, and and we've talked about it before at, at ad nauseum here, three double digit leads in the fourth quarter that they have let slip away. If you're going to be that defense that says we are, you know, we're a defensive unit team, we're going to lead this team to you know this 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 team to victory, you got to get off the field, you got to protect those leads, and especially in the fourth quarter. And I, and I think that the, the Broncos game was huge, the, obviously the, the Lions game in Detroit was huge, and then this game here, you, you get all three of those victories, you protect those leads. Guess what? What are you eight and six? Is that what the record would be? In the playoffs, you're in the playoffs right <laughs> now, right? So that's where it's like, all right, yeah, I, he's a you know he got the defense playing well. They're they're one of the, the better run defensive defenses in in the NFL. But it's when it's when it's crunch time, when it's time to get Joe Flacco, 39 years old, who just came off the couch three weeks ago, off the football field, you know, missing his four starting offensive linemen, right? He came in missing three offensive starters, lost Joe Botonio in the first first half. So he was, you know, basically it was one starter and four backups versus Joe Flacco, and the Bears couldn't finish them in, in the fourth quarter with a 10-point lead. That, to me, doesn't tell me it's a great defense. It's better. I, I it's def better. They, they definitely are. I think, uh, obviously, we've seen them, how far they've come since from that first 
uh, even as far back as the first blown fourth quarter lead against the Broncos and getting players back, you know, getting going out and trading for Montez Sweat and just what his addition has done for this defense, especially as it comes to takeaways. It's just crazy uh, what the Bears defense has been doing over the last few weeks there. I think overall in the league, they're tied for the sixth most takeaways uh and they have the second most interceptions this season i believe with 18 um so i've just been really impressed by the growth from what we're seeing from them and the fact that they've like the the impact it's like hey look at what happens when you have a dominant edge rusher it's like oh yeah it took you long enough to go out and get one but it, it's good to know for the future uh of this defense which i think could be seeing a new defensive coordinator next season but the pieces are definitely in place. Uh, and speaking of that, um, uh, on, of the takeaways, on, on Sunday, Chicago had three interceptions of Joe Flacco, and there could have been at least two more. That includes cornerback Jalen Johnson's near interception, which would have been his fifth on the season. So on Wednesday, Johnson told the media that if the team made him a good offer in the next few months, he would take it and forego free agency entirely. So should general manager Ryan Pohl show him the money? Danny, what do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm a Jalen Johnson fan, right? And I, I just don't want the asking prices, right? So, I mean, I mean, after, you know, he's getting sending some mixed signals because I was, I think it was after last week or two weeks ago, he said that, that you know, his this price tag has changed now and that he wants to be paid upper echelon, you know, money, top cornerback money. And then, you know, this, this past, you know, this past, uh, you know, week, he said, you know, he, he, a fair offer, he'll take it. So it, it, it's like, he's moving the, the goalposts here a little bit, Jalen Johnson, that is, but like you mentioned, you know, that would have been his, his fifth interception. I, th I think he's actually dropped just as many interceptions that as, as he has. So, I mean, that's the thing with Jalen Johnson. If you want to be considered one of the top echelon and be paid one of the top echelon corners in, in the league, you're going to have to make those interceptions. And a lot of these drops are in his hands. I mean, there's a couple of pick sixes that I remember that one in, in Cleveland, again, another one, I believe a couple weeks ago as well. So if you start making these interceptions, Jalen, and, and you've been better this year. I mean, I think, I think you've been playing at a, at a, at a high level, probably even a pro bowl level this year, but I think it's, it's in terms of, you know, your, your elevated play, you want that high money, you're going to have to go ahead and earn it. But for me, I'm a big Jalen Johnson fan. I, and I think if you're going to pay someone on the, on this defense, I think, I think he's the one you go ahead and, and go ahead and, and, and pay right now. So if you can, as long as he's not trying to break the bank and be a top tier echelon, because remember, if this defense stays, or if you bring in someone else that's running the same defense, it's all predicated on your front four. Right with Montez Sweat up there, with with adding an, another guy, another dude in the middle, a defensive tackle, and adding a speed rusher opposite of, of, of Montez Sweat that like all the touchdown, you can you can get away with a Terrell Smith back there at corner. You can get away with a, a, T, uh, a Stevenson back there at corner. You can bring in you know a, a veteran you know a, a free agent on a low, low one year contract or two year contract. You can go get another one in the draft and you know day two of the draft. You know so you can bring in some guys that can compete there. You don't need to break the bank for these high price cornerbacks. So again, it's all predicated on what you do up front. But for me, if, if he wants to break the bank and be one of the higher paid corners in the league, I'm sorry, I'd franchise him and see if I, I can find a taker and get a high second round pick back for him. I think that if they can design the deal, I don't mind paying him $22 million if that's what he's asking. I've, I've heard that number. I know that's a lot and that's probably among the top cornerbacks. But if you can front load the deal, and make it so that by year three of his deal, it's not, you know, a salary cap hindrance because you're going to need money. Hopefully, Justin Fields will remain and you're going to need that to pay him those big bucks that he's going to demand in 2026. Uh, 
starting with the fifth year option in 2025, that's 20 some million dollars. But, you know, that's still not going to break the bank. But by if he signs that $200 million contract because he's playing like a, a superstar in the league and we need $200, $300 million to pay him, then a, a paying a cornerback like Jalen Johnson has to be front-loaded and those last year, two years, three years of his deal, you know, are reasonable $10 million a year kind of thing. There's ways to structure that, ways that I don't understand, but uh, maybe maybe Alyssa does. I don't know anything about contract <laughs> negotiations. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not an expert in, in that department either, but no, I, I agree with you guys. I mean, I think at this point, uh, I think the Bears need to re-sign him. They could have, I mean, Ryan Poles could have gotten a discount uh, earlier before uh, Jalen Johnson has started uh, really outplaying out his, his previous contract. Um mm-hmm probably on the table. So, I mean, I think that Ryan Pohl should do whatever he can to make sure that Jalen Johnson does stay in Chicago, whether that is the franchise tag and take some time to work out a deal. Uh, but again, Jalen Johnson, he, he's made it clear he wants to stay in Chicago. He's trying to give Ryan Poles the opportunity uh, to make sure that he has him locked down because he's going to be in high demand in free agency if he does hit that open market. So I think what we've seen from Jalen Johnson, he's been one of the better cornerbacks in the NFL this season, really coming into his own as a ball hawker. Now, I mean, he does has does have some dropped ones, uh, obviously, but just insane uh, numbers for interceptions for him this year, uh, considering what we've seen from him in the past. And, you know, you have to start paying your good players, right, to stay. And we're mm-hmm. starting to see Ryan Poles start to do that. So hopefully Jalen Johnson is the next one up. Yeah. Oh, well, um, I'm going to talk Tremaine Edmonds. Yes, let's go, because I know we have been critical uh, of Tremaine Edmonds on this show, but given his improved play over these past few weeks, is it time that we stop being so critical? Aldo, what do you think? I think you should start with Danny because he's the one that's been critical, <laughs> not so much me. <laughs> yeah, and, and it all comes down to guys is is what I rather have Rokon Smith or Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, I think that's that's what I I came down to. Now the money could be a little bit more for Rokon. I don't know that I'm not just like Aldo. I'm not a big cap guy. I don't know, but I think they're in a they're in a similar ballpark range, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's not too like it's not extraordinary one way or the other. So I think if for the for the same amount, roughly same amount of money, I'd rather have. Roquan Smith. Now, obviously, Roquan didn't do himself any favors by a, you know, being his own agent and then and then coming out and, and talking about Ryan Poles and and all that stuff being traded and how he was treated and all that stuff. So I think that kind of ruffled some feathers up at, at Hellas Hall. And I think that might have, you know, precluded to his his departure out of Chicago. But you know, and just talking about strictly football players, for me, Roquan Smith is a, is a bigger is a better football player, more impactive linebacker than a Tremaine Edmonds. Now, if you're gonna tell me, you, you know, you can't have Roquan. And TJ Edwards, you have to go the package of TJ Edwards, Edmonds, or Roquan. That's a different story because TJ Edwards, obviously, I think he's 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 a, he's a linebacker that's not he's not athletic. You know, he coming out of the draft, everyone was talking about this kid, you know, being like a you know a priority free agent. And I, I, I watch his tape, and I'm like, just like Jack Sanborn, he, he's a guy that's just he doesn't have all the the traits you want, but he, but he knows his keys. He can read defense. He read offenses. He knows what to do. He knows where to be. Just a smart, heady linebacker. And, and I talked about earlier, he's probably their best blitzer in terms of coming through and, and providing uh, you know uh, pressure on the quarterback. So I think if if, if that's where we're going to lean towards, I think Edmonds has finally come around his play. I think I think that injury a couple of weeks ago kind of allowed him to kind of sit back and, and reset himself. So hopefully, you know, for the remainder of his Chicago career, you know, he, he is more productive. But I mean, because I, I know people in Buffalo that were ready to get rid of Tremaine Edmonds. I mean, a lot of his numbers were, 
you know, kind of bloated with, with tackles behind the line of scrimmage, down the field. So I think a lot of people were ready to get rid of him. However, you know, the thing we were told when they, when they picked Edmonds over a guy like Roquan was the turnovers. This is a guy that would create turnovers, you know, um, the interceptions because of his, his, his range and coverage and all that stuff. We hadn't seen that. We hadn't seen that up until recently. We, I think he's got like three or four interceptions within the last three or four weeks. So, and then, and then this past week's interception, that was all TJ Edwards. Edwards knocked the hell out of the, the receiver. The ball bounced up. Edmonds caught it, and, and he ran it back for a pick six. So and that's the thing. It's like if you're telling me Roquan versus Edmonds, I want Roquan, you know, seven days a week. But if you're telling me the package that you have to do of, of Edmonds and Edwards or Roquan, then I can I can see how, how they went. But I, I'm just not the biggest Edmonds fan. Yeah, I like uh, Tremaine Edmonds, and I excuse his first half of the season's performance to the fact that he was dinged up missed all of preseason, got dinged up again during the regular season. And so there, there's been a ramp-up period for him, and I think that we're starting to see that improved play and that he could potentially be a better option physically for this type of defense than Roquan is. This defense demands a, a, a middle linebacker who is long, you know, has uh, long arms, can get his hands on batted balls, can go sideline to sideline. And Roquan is good at all that stuff, but he's not quite the body, the lean body that the Bears coaching staff desires for that position. I don't have a problem with that. It was it was a, a savings of money. Roquan didn't negotiate in good faith, you know, on family day to send out a, a tweet saying, you know, I want to be traded. I've told the Bears I want to be traded. And then denying it in interviews afterwards, the whole thing where he missed a game to London and stuff. So I just wonder, you know, what kind of a teammate was he? Did, did polls see that and, and, and decide, you know, I'm not too anxious to re-sign this guy, especially for the kind of money that he's asking. So I think there was just some signs there that that was an uncomfortable situation with Roquan as a member of the Bears. And I believe in Tremaine that he's going to get better and better. But you've seen the missed tackles, right, on Edmonds. You, and you're a big yeah. proponent of missed tackles. You hate missed tackles. And, I, and yep. I just, you know, a lot of missed tackles by Tremaine Edmonds. That's all I can say. Yeah, I just wish that, you know, coaches and players were more forthcoming about what, you know, could be uh, ailing them and, and and therefore resulting in their uh, in the, them missing tackles or dropping a pass or something like that. There are a lot of players out there who are playing at 70, 80, 90 percent. Uh, because they got bruises on their thighs, uh, a knee that's given out on them from time to time. I'm not making, I guess maybe I am making excuses for Tremaine, <laughs> but he, you know, he, we know he was injured in the beginning of the season. So, <laughs> I mean, there's I that lack of back. transparency. I'm, I'm not too. complaining, right? I got a bad back. I'm doing a that's show. right. That's right. Have you been taking care of that back, my brother? <laughs> well, I, I, X and pains, you want to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> he's good. He, he's, he's still giving us his best too. Um, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I definitely think uh, Edmonds was hampered by injury heading into the season and he's definitely starting to turn a corner and we'll see, uh, especially what happens this off season. Is this going to be the same defense in place next year? Uh, should be interesting think, to see that. I think they, I think let's to that question. I think, you know, they've invested so much and in, even if polls makes it, makes it, um, you know, a change at, at, at head coach, I think, they would probably try to because the personnel is is now been 
you know, they've been they've been drafting for two years now for for a four three. Not saying that it's out of the out of the realm, but they'll they'll go ahead and and, and bring in a three four. But I think that that what they'll probably do is prefer someone who runs a four three. But we'll see what happens if there's even a change. Yeah. Yeah, okay. we'll see. These last three games going to be really important for that. And these final three games also going to be an important evaluation period for Justin Fields. While there were some big drops and some pass protection issues on Sunday against the Browns, Fields didn't have a good game. I'm curious, Danny, did Fields' errors on offense outweigh the poor play calling from the gutsy? What do you think? Well, I mean, so I saw the question and, and, and I was like, I was kind of wondering, because like, after, after the game, we were talking like, you know, what, there wasn't any specific errors that I, that I could jump, jump out of, of my, unless you're talking about the DJ Moore play where we just talked about here on the fourth of one, if you consider that an error, you know, you know, we could agree or disagree on that. You know, it is what it is, but you know, two interceptions were, were both Hail Marys. One shouldn't have counted. The other one should have been caught for a touchdown. So, I mean, there were a couple of throws where I, I know that the corner jumped, uh, uh, I believe it was DJ Moore. I, I couldn't really, in, in front of him, almost had an interception. So a couple of throws there. I just saw an offense, that offensive line that was being dominated by, by the defensive front for the Cleveland Browns. And, and he, I mean, even on the broadcast, I said that there, there isn't, you know, there isn't a time back there when he's dropping back that he's not getting someone in his face or getting pressure. And we saw Khalil Herbert with, with a poor attempt at, a, at blocking a blitzer. The guy ran right through him and right to, right to Justin. So I mean, I mean the, the the offense as a whole just looked like it was you know it was it was bad. But you know that first touchdown that was all Justin. You know because I mean apparently you know, Miles Garrett had him you know for, for a you know for a sack and he he was able to break free. Miles Garrett who who ragdoll tossed you know a three a six six you know three hundred fifteen pound Braxton Jones like he's nothing you know missed him. So I mean that and then Justin was able to get you know get away, grow out to his left and throw a perfect strike to Colcomet for a touchdown. You know that was at that that perfect throw, another one where he's rolling out to his right to Robert Tunyon. That Tunyon dropped. Whether that that could have been a touchdown, if not, in worst case, it's a it's in their own field goal range. So that right there is is an opportunity for them to score more points. You know, we talked about them, them passing up the field goal attempt at at the end of the half. So I mean, there there are some throws, some plays that Justin. There are a couple of nice back shoulder throws to DJ Moore. So I didn't see any glaring mistakes uh, uh, with Justin. I haven't seen the all twenty two yet. I mean, I, I just I just saw the TV copy, but nothing in terms of. Glaring mistakes earlier, right? Where whereas the wide open receivers, he's looking at him, but just not pulling the trigger. You know, we're not, I didn't see any of those, but I just saw a, basically an offensive line. Nate Davis, guys, Nate Davis probably played his worst game as a bear so far to date. Uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, he was just, he, he couldn't stop Shelby Harris. He couldn't stop any of those interior defensive linemen for, for the Browns. So I thought overall offensively, DJ Moore was 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 limping. You saw a couple of times him when after the, the play kind of grimace. You know, obviously he wasn't 100%. You know, so and in, and in terms of Justin, again, going back, you know, he took the, he took the checkdowns, you know, didn't throw the ball in harm's way for the most part. So I, I just didn't see any glaring mistakes. I just saw an offense, really, that just struggled entirely, you know, facing the number one defense in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's a fair uh, way to put it, Danny. You know, I, I, I didn't really see a lot of mistakes either. After the game on our Bear football show, I went off on the play caller, Luke Getze, because I thought it was his worst play called game. He just, you know, and, and perhaps it's because as I learned more about play calling from you and Greg Gabriel and Coach T and others, you know, I'm, I'm starting to, those those mistakes that Luke Getze 
makes are, are being more crystallized for me. The lack of setting up an opponent, the lack of sequencing plays in a way that makes sense, the, the mistakes with player personnel packages and putting Khalil Herbert in there to block on a play where you're going to throw and, uh, and you know the defense is likely going to be blitzing. You know, things like that. The, the, the guilty party here is definitely – the coaching staff uh, and the game in Cleveland was the the biggest of the forty two page indictment that we have for them. <laughs> I think it's fair to say the Bears in Cleveland just don't play well. <laughs> no, that's for sure. Yeah, no. uh, yeah, yeah, I agree with what you guys were saying too. I mean, looking at fields, yeah, there were a couple of passes that probably should have been intercepted that Browns uh, defenders just dropped, but. You look at you're going up against the top ranked defense in the NFL and the, the pass protection was just brutal. I mean, and and Fields didn't really you look at his stat sheet and he had the two interceptions, but those were on Hail Mary. So they technically he didn't really throw an interception in one of those game changing moments uh, like we've like we've seen before in the past. But wasn't his best game. But considering going up against that defense and he wasn't helped out, still having nightmares about that Robert Tunyon dropped touchdown just how uh, it, it's it, it it's it's frustrating because you look at justin fields and when he's doing what he should be doing other guys aren't uh and they're making those mistakes and then it's like oh you there then people are going to try to blame this on fields i i, I don't want to hear it that this was on fields i mean the offense as a whole really did struggle i think they had eight three and outs in this game which is just insane they're only touchdown of the game was courtesy of Eddie Jackson's interception return, setting them up on the one yard line. And even that was just what, what a series to punch that ball in from the one yard line. Oh my gosh. Absolutely brutal. Because mm -hmm. just think, if you go back and look at this, if you, I, I know I don't like looking at stats, but just saying like, you know, he had one touchdown, two, two interceptions, right? If that interception is the first one is, is called an incomplete, which was uh, already go for a field goal. Okay. And if that touchdown is caught by Tanyan, and then if that Hail Mary is caught by Mooney, that's three touchdowns and one interception. So now we had just had a great game. But I mean, that, that's the thing is like, it's how, how we, it, it just differs so quickly with this kid. I just feel like everyone kind of picks every little mistake that happens, whether it's within the offense or, or he does or, or doesn't have, have anything to do with. And I just, I think it's, and he's being unfairly like scrutinized and, and looked at. And I think just, if, if you just get this kid time and, and we talked about it, you know, post game show as well let him grow, let him develop and get him a, a, a play caller. I think, I think we have a kid here that, that you can saw the special talent he's got, you know, that, that rolling to the, to his left, jump pass to Tony perfect throw. You know, saw the, the ability to get away, get away from, from uh, miles Garrett and, and make that throw on a dime, flipping his hips, perfect accurate throw. I mean, he makes those wild moment plays that you just can't give up on talent like that. There, yeah. there were a couple of passes, though, that he threw into the hands of Brown's uh, cornerbacks. Yeah, the one that Mooney, I think Mooney was supposed to, was supposed to. Uh, he, he thought he was going, and and then Justin thought he was going to sit, and that was. Right. Gonna, and again, I just don't know why Mooney and him are not on the same page. These guys are like best friends off the field, yeah. you know. And and I, I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me why him and Mooney. You know, can get on, but then DJ Moore comes here, and then all of a sudden, him and him, him and Moore look like they've been playing together for years. That's just, I want that to be figured out. I, I don't know if I can ever get the answer to that, but that's what I want to know. Do you think that there's any chance that the Bears were would re sign Darnell Mooney this offseason? Or do you think that this game sealed his fate? All they want to go take off first? Yeah, I think, I think Darnell is gone. I think, um, this is a rich 
class in wide receivers. If you're going to sign Jalen, you're going to need that money that Darnell is going to demand. He's going to demand close to $10 million a year. Um, and you can get a, a, a replacement who's probably better, at least fits the offense better, meaning an X receiver, a bigger body than Darnell Mooney. Uh, you need an, you need a bigger body opposite DJ Moore. And so I would say, uh, thank Darnell very much and let him find success somewhere else. Yeah, for me, I, I think Darnell has played himself into a, a number three receiver in, on this roster, maybe even number four, depending on, on the upgrades they bring in. But yeah, I mean, it, I mean, if he's willing to take number three money, or like short term, one or two year deal, he might come back. But I think, like all of a sudden, I think they're they're going to be they're going to be coaches out there that that you know see what he did in the previous years. And the other thing is to, to Darnell, and I think I was a little unfair uh, to him after the post game show. I think I, I said he was done, he was gone uh, after the year. But I mean, remember, he, he's coming out, he's coming out. <laughs> He's coming out. I, I call. I say when I'm when I you know I'm harsh. I I, I come back and I I do kind of you know try and sugarcoat it a little bit. But uh, you know I, I, he's coming off. Of, it was I believe it was a broken ankle. He broke his ankle last year. So I you know that was late in the season. So typically a lot of these injuries you know it takes these athletes. Some you know he's he's healthier to play, but he's just not at top end speed. I think watching him, he's he's not the same in terms of his rock cutting and his ability to cut on the dime and 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 make. So I don't know if that's playing it you know into effect. You know that might be something that next year whether he's here or somewhere else you'll see him making better plays and all that stuff but you know he's a guy that, that's for a, a diminutive receiver he's he's tough as heck you know he's a guy who will go across the middle you know we'll, we'll make those tough catches i just think that that he's you know he's not fit in his offense right now as a number two you know possibly number three good might be even go to he might go to like a team like the rams or, or the chiefs or something like that where he gets get more opportunities and he might could flourish and shine and turn that one year short-term deal into a, a more lucrative contract yeah, even at the beginning of this season, I wasn't convinced that they were going to bring him back after this year. And uh, like Aldo was talking about, clear, you know, having enough money to, to re-sign Jalen Johnson, that'll help. And you're in a prime position, potentially, if Carolina loses two more games and had that number one pick. Uh, if you're going to stick with Justin Fields, trade back, draft Marvin Harrison Jr., let's get the party started. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to do it for the first part of our Buffon's Basement. We're going to be right back where we are going to preview the Bears' we, uh, Christmas Eve Christmas Eve game against the Arizona Cardinals. We'll be right back. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be a quarterback in the NFL? I have. The quarterback position is arguably the most difficult position in all of sports due to its physical and mental nature. Join me by watching me on this channel on my journey to become an NFL quarterback. The best Chicago Bears content anywhere. Catch Nomad Live pregame one hour prior to kickoff and Nomad at night postgame. And every Friday evening at 7 p.m. Central on all the most popular streaming platforms. And only on the Nomad Network.
Welcome back to Buffone 55. Once again, I'm filling in for John, who is taking a little time off. But no time off for the Podfather, though, as he's going to get our discussion started about Chicago's upcoming opponent, the Arizona Cardinals, with his weekly video essay. Here's Aldo Gandia. Last Sunday, the Cardinals lost their 11th game when they couldn't find a way to stop the formidable 49ers offense. Wide open, Purdy to Samuel. On some plays, it was difficult to find a Cardinals defender. Wide open, McCaffrey gets up to run with it for the touchdown. Head coach Jonathan Gannon pointed to his coaching staff. How do you determine? Is it coaching? Is it the call? Is it? Yeah, we got to make sure that. Yeah, we got to make sure we're we're coaching our guys to put their eyes in the right spot. Is those two plays? Cardinals defense gave up 45 points and over 400 yards of offense to the Niners. Touchdown, San Francisco! In the season, the Cardinals allow an average of 359 yards per game, 25th in the NFL, and are next to last in points allowed. Um, you know, like like always, there's a handful of things that um, when you lose a game like that, that are that are going wrong. From you know scheme to technique to uh, all the little details, and right there's a lot of different things that we need to get better at. On offense against the 49ers, the Cardinals fought and showcased a very effective run game. They averaged eight yards per carry for a total of 234 yards. A huge game for Cutter. NFL Network's Brian Baldinger highlighted the run game in his popular X-Pulse, hashtag Baldy's Breakdowns. Figured out this weak side guy. Here's Tristan Cologne and Froholt on the pull right here. All right? The trap, the kick out, McBride with the block, Froholt with the block, and here goes Michael Carter for 19 yards. It was so good, weak, that they ran gut strong right here. Excellent blocks all the way around. Hernandez, Froholt, Paris Johnson, and down block. Here comes Hernandez. With a block, excellent job all the way around. The three running backs on the team have drawn praise from offensive coordinator Drew Petzing for their versatility. That's what makes that room uh, dynamic. I think it's why you see all those guys in the game. Uh, the nice part to me is, uh, to, to some extent, all three of them are pretty solid in every area, which is very unique. I mean, they've all shown up on third down. They've all made plays with the ball in their hand. They've all caught balls out of the backfield. You know, So when you get three guys that can do it at the level those three guys are doing it, I think you put some stress on the defense knowing that we're going to be able to keep them fresh, that nobody necessarily – obviously James is going to get the majority of the reps, but if Michael or Amari jumps in there for you know, 15, 20 snaps, there's not going to be a massive drop-off in terms of what we're asking those guys to do and their ability to execute. Quarterback Kyler Murray has played five games since his return from the ACL injury he suffered in December of last year. Now launches it deep, middle of the field, into the end zone, and an over-the-shoulder catch Ooh. by Rondale Moore for a touchdown. He's thrown four touchdown passes and four interceptions in those five games, and it's obvious that he's still getting acclimated to the new offense installed by Petsy. San Francisco gets the pick. It's Ward high kicking it all the way. Touchdown, 49ers. Uh, there's obviously every game there's a couple plays that you would love to have back, uh, a couple throws that you would love to have back, or miscommunication between, you know, um, one or two guys, whatever it may be. I think every quarterback watches the game, oh, I could have did this better or done that. So, Making things more challenging for Murray this week could be the absence of receiver Hollywood Brown, who was hampered by a heel injury. 
But Murray is quickly developing a connection with second-year tight end Trey McBride, who leads the team in receptions. He's put together, and the chemistry has been obvious between Murray and McBride. That's good for 11 yards and a first down. He's a high-productive player for us. I mean, this guy's went like this the entire year. You know, he's, he's, he's really playing extremely well right now. You know, Kyler's doing a great job of finding the open receivers, um, doing a great job of getting through his reads, things like that. Like I said, we're just we're really close. We just need to tighten it up just a hair, and we're, and we're right there. On defense, the pass rush has produced 13 different players with at least one sack. Step deep drop, Jones steps up, runs, and sacked at the 43, Dennis Gardner. The team leader is a madman named Dennis Gardner. He has five sacks and 12 quarterback hits. But the biggest takeaway about the Cardinals' defense is their inconsistency in the turnover battle. They're near the bottom of the league in takeaways. They had zero last week, and yet, against the Texans in Week 11, they intercepted C.J. Stroud three times. Safety Jalen Thompson leads the team with three interceptions. The defense is sorely missing inside linebacker Kazir White who tore a bicep against the Texans and is out for the season. Despite missing the last three games, he's still the team leader in tackles and tackles for loss. On special teams, punter Blake Gilkin has a big leg and the athletic ability to fake punts for big plays. Matt Prater is still hitting field goals from miles away. Puts the leg into it and knocks it through. The weather is Sunday at Soldier Field. It's supposed to be about 43, 45 degrees, and there's a 60% chance of precipitation. But to me, the barometer of this game is how are the Bears going to play against this Cardinals team, and is it going to be a testament to they're improving their squad, or is it going to be further evidence that this team is in a circle of mediocrity? So we'll see. Uh, let's bring everybody else in to comment on the Cardinals. What do you think? Yeah, like you said, this is a game that I think that the Bears should win this game. They're the better of the two. Obviously, these are two teams that are contending for a top three draft pick right now. Um, and then the Bears are top five, obviously. So, um I think this is a game where you need to see the offense bounce back. This is uh, has the potential, right? I think Danny, did you call? Was this the game where Fields has four hundred or sorry, three hundred passing or yards and rushing yards? Yeah. So like looking for a big day for Justin Fields. So if you have him on your fantasy team uh, or DJ Moore, start him. Um, so yeah, I just think this is a game like like Aldo said that it's going to be a good barometer. If this is if they lose this game. Oh, no. I, I think that that would probably seal the deal for sure with Matt Eberflus because you have to have this. You're the superior opponent. When you go out there and you play some of these better teams and you're get, like to the Lions, they should have won one of those. The Browns should have won uh, should have won that one last week. And I don't want to see them playing down to their opponent, which we've seen them do in the past because we've seen them show up against some of these teams that just haven't been able to close it out. But I think that this game is one that they need to have and should have, which is crazy to say because it, it feels like they're not mathematically eliminated yet, but it feels that like the Bears aren't going to be contending for a playoff spot barring some miraculous uh, thing happening and everyone losing. But it's still important because in terms of Matt Eberflus, uh, Justin Fields, and, and their future. 
Yeah, for me, guys, this this could be uh, you know a real pivotal game, and and obviously the draft position is is key, right? I was top of mind for everyone, but I mean, like Aldo touched on earlier, you know, he wanted to see what how this team responds to Matt Eberflus to the final three games, and I think this game, the Cardinals are, have only on th- three victories, but they they fight, they play hard for those coaching staff, and there's a lot of factors in this game. There's there's the weather we talked about, Aldo talked about real quick. There's the Christmas Eve thing. There's coming off of, of, of another gut-wrenching loss for the Bears. And I think this is where Matt Eberflus and, and his and his staff are gonna have to, you know, really gonna be tested here. You know, because this uh Cardinals team, this defense will come after you. Jonathan Gannon was the defensive corner for the Eagles last year. They led the league in sacks. We saw what happens to the Eagles defense once the, well, he's he's gone now, right? Now the Eagles defense you know, are, are it's in shambles now. Uh so this is an aggressive attacking front. You know, they'll get after the quarterback. And that's the thing with, with Justin is is this is the time where we're in Getsy. You know, you have to be able to to be able to, and you can beat the secondary. The secondary isn't that that great. So if you can get Justin comfortable early on and getting some easy completions, getting the ball out of his hands, kind of you know slowing the tide on that pass rush, I think then you can be able to hopefully get him out of the pocket, get him on the open field, and I can see him use his legs here as well. So the weather's going to play a factor. Obviously, uh, Arizona's indoor team coming out to play outside, and defensively, the Bears better be. Obviously, the run defense, we're going to expect them to be able to shut down James Conner and company, but they better be gap, you know, in terms of assignment gap, you know, uh, integrity. Keep that there because Kyler Murray can still bust, you know, at 20, 30 yard. He can beat you with his legs. And, and he's a, you know, tiny, tiny quarterback. The way I beat a tiny quarterback is you get pressure in their face. And if you get pressure in their face, and if those defensive ends aren't holding the edge, I, I have no, I have no. Uh, you know, um, questions about Montez Sweat holding that defensive edge, just sending a hard edge. It's the other guys on the other end. Will they be able to do that? Because you let Kyler Murray sneak out of there. He, he can hurt you with his legs. And, you know, if it's, if it's a young team, they get some confidence going. They're on the road, and they get a couple points here and early, and the Bears start pressing. You, you could see the, the Bears losing this game. And then that that then, like you said, Alyssa, that should be the nail in the coffin and, and Matt Eberflus and his staff. Yeah, I agree with Danny. You know, uh, I'm a little concerned when I was doing the research for the video. I noted that there were uh, 13 different players who have who have uh, gotten sacks with this team, and so that speaks to Danny's theory that they're going to come from all over the place. And these are the types of defenses the Bears have really had problems with against the Minnesota Vikings in Chicago, where uh, Justin didn't do a good job at making changes at the line to pick. Uh, blitzes up or the offensive line screwed up. It was just a total uh, nightmare. And one of the cool things about listening to the head coach of the Cardinals, he kept over and over again when reporters were asking him, you know, what happened here? He always blamed the coaches. We got to do a better job of coaching that up. We got to do a better. And it's unlike what's going on in Chicago right now. Um, So I just feel like this Cardinals team, Forget about the record because uh, Kyler Murray has only been back for five games. This is a totally different team with him. And if their uh, number one receiver, Hollywood Brown, plays, it could be a long day for Justin Fields having to run around from these blitzes and for uh, explosive plays by this Arizona Cardinals offense. And so I'm a little bit worried about this and I really, really would love to see them win. Cause it, you know, just, we all, all, all of us as fans need a promise. Let's get a nice three game yeah. winning streak here, please. And Tevin Jenkins uh, is still in concussion protocol. So, yeah. you know, you might be missing him. So, you know, you've got white hair in there. So that could be, you know, a, a key component on the offensive line, 
you know, uh, you know, missing and you go facing an aggressive, you know, uh, a scheme designed, you know, uh, uh, defense there as well. So uh, this this could be a game where where you know the Bears could lose. But if if you, if you put Justin, I think he'll he'll be able to beat that secondary. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and Danny, like you'd mentioned before, this is a game that could have draft implications. Uh, and because we have just three games left in this season, which is crazy considering how quickly uh, that it's gone and all of the ups and downs, mostly downs that Bears fans have had to go through. But if the Bears beat the Cardinals, it could hurt their chances for that number one pick, especially if the Panthers win. But if they lose two of these final three games, that should be it and be enough for the Bears to get that number one pick. But my question is, does it even matter? Does it even matter if the Bears beat the Cardinals and that hurts their draft stock at all? Oh, man. Well, I, I don't care. I, I want to win. I don't care if if we're drafting out of the top five. It, it, it shouldn't matter. It's it's victory time. There's, you know, and the players don't give a shit about uh, about where we're drafting. These players all want to win for their pride, for their resume, for their tape, uh, for future jobs and stuff. So, you know, I know a lot of us fans want us to tank. I just I don't live by that credo. Well, the, well, the great news is for you all though is is the Bears can go ahead and play hard and win. They don't need to tank. It's Carolina that's going to have to tank. So as long as Carolina, and they're playing the Packers this week, so as long as Carolina loses, I, I think, you know, even the Bears win, I mean, yeah, they'll hurt their pick, the mm-hmm. Pied out of the top five. But still, it's, it's you know, Carolina's doing a tanking for the Bears. So I think that's that's the sweet part here. Where That's one of the reasons why last week's show, John, Alyssa, and I were all kind of like, all right, like, you know, if we get Cleveland, then you can go ahead and start looking at some, some winnable games here. But, you know, that big loss to Cleveland – you know, the, the, we talked about earlier, the players kind of throwing some stuff out there about the coaching staff. You know, that could be something where this could be a test for Eberflus and for the staff. If the Bears come out and fall flat on their face and, and the Cardinals come out of here with a victory, that to me is, is a big indictment on, on, on the head coach. And I think that's something that, that should be and, and could be taken into, into effect. Yeah, like Danny said, you know, we don't have to root or not really root or like for the Bears to tank here because the Panthers are doing that for us. So they need to just lose two more and we're good to go. And this is a game where I still feel like even if they lose, I'm still going to be mad about it because I feel like they should beat the Cardinals. But then at the same time, it it would help their own uh, draft pick that could get even better. Uh, I know the commanders have uh, an extra loss on them, but I mean, I'm not really worried about that because we're lucky that that the Bears have the Carolina uh, Panthers uh, pick. And I'm not going to say I'm rooting for the Packers this week. I will say I'm rooting against the Panthers more. <laughs> I, I, I'm rooting for the Packers. I'm going to admit it. I, <laughs> I will never say that outright. <laughs> when I was running Never. the NFC North bar room, I bought, uh, you know, a mug, a beer mug of every one of the NFC North teams. If the Bears win and the Packers win on Sunday, I'm going to drink. I'm going to do on the Bear football show. I'll do a toast from a Packers mug no. because <laughs> I'll no. be so grateful. Oh, no. <laughs> Wait, aren't you supposed to be for, at your sister-in-law's f- on Christmas Eve watching? She won't let Ollie watch football. So how are you going to do this? 
Um, I yeah, you're right. I'll I'll just shoot a, I'll just shoot a video and put it on social media. That that would really get me in hot water with fans. Oh no! Once you put it out there, although it's there forever. Yeah, yeah. I forgot <laughs> we're not doing a show this this weekend. So uh, either way, I'll be I'll be watching the game the game here at home, and then I'm going to my sister in law um, who doesn't want the football game on during the holidays. Okay. Okay, guys, so we're going to we're going to finish the show with this. Uh, it is the holiday season. Christmas just around around the corner. The Bears are going to be playing on Christmas Eve. We're all going to be trying to watch that, uh, you know, avoiding some family time or try, try to work our way around that. But we thought it would be fun to hand out presents to Bears players, coaches or front office staff. And I'm going to go first. And I. I took the easy one. Is it too easy to say that I'd give Jalen Johnson a contract extension? Um, I think that Johnson has made it clear that he wants to stay in Chicago and that if they do make him a good offer, what he's looking for in the next few months, he's not going to even consider free agency, which I think would be a big win. He's been one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL this season, just period. He he's always been a great cover corner, but you know, we're starting to see his ability to make get those interceptions now. And when you look at this dominant Bears defense and where they're at now and looking to the future, he's someone that I want to still be on this team and in this defense. Um, but yeah, I have a bonus that I'll, I'll share afterwards, but I want to hear what you guys have to think. Who who would like to go next? Who has a gift? Although you look like you have a gift ready. Yeah, actually I got a little animation too that I want to share. <gasps> Love it. Man, we should have let off with that, man. <laughs> <laughs> we should have. <laughs> yeah. See, so here's the thing. You know, I, I was thinking about, should I do something funny, like get a real estate agent for Matt Eberflus, a, a, you know, a moving company, pay for the moving company for the Luke Getzi and stuff. But I'm going to make it serious. And so really, and I know I'm going to sound corny here, but I really do mean this from the bottom of my heart. I have a lot of respect for everyone that plays this incredibly violent game of professional football. And so I hope that all of the players, you know, are safe uh, throughout the holiday season. There's no more serious injuries, you know, obviously you're going to get nicks and stuff in the game of football, but for every uh, person that goes out there on Sundays and plays football for our entertainment, I wish them nothing but the best for their, for their own health and the health of their family. That's very nice of you, Aldo, and this this okay. this giving scene. See, I was I was I, I'm gonna follow up. And I'm, gonna, I'm gonna sound like the Grinch here, but anyway, I'm, I'm gonna follow up. There. <laughs> I could. I, I was thinking of going. I was thinking of going. You know, funny as well. Like like you know, giving the Bears HR or IT department some, a, a nice blocker to block Pornhub from the from the coaches. You know, <laughs> but I'm like, you know, it's holiday season. I'm just gonna be nice, right? So I'm gonna right. go ahead and give my guy Justin Fields a gift. I'm going to give him. A, a creative, innovative, you know, young, aggressive play caller that can come in here and take a look at his kid's talents and take a look at all what he can do with the football, without the football, his, his ability to make every single throw on the, on the football field. He'll be able to, get, to elude pressure, get away from pressure, use his legs as a weapon. With DJ Moore on the outside, hopefully, uh, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. on the opposite there with a Cole Komet and another another tight end to, to kind of offset Cole Komet, a, a bloated backfield and a, and a de young developing offensive line. I want a young, innovative 
offensive mind. Who that is, I don't know. But but the example, <laughs> the example I want is a Shane Steichen. Shane Steichen what is the current Indianapolis head coach, right? And he, has, he, he was the offensive corner under for the Chargers when Justin Herbert came in. Totally different type of quarterback. Pocket passer, big guy. And he, he developed Justin Herbert. Went over to Philadelphia. Different type of quarterback. Jalen Hurts. Built an offense around him. And, and they had huge numbers. Went to the Super Bowl. He left. Look what happened to Jalen Hurts this year. Jalen Hurts came and completed over 150 yards passing now without Shane Steichen calling the plays for him. He goes to Indianapolis, drafts a raw but super talented rookie in Anthony Richardson, says he's going to be my starter. And they were, you know, they were productive. He was Anthony Richardson was using his legs. He was kind of working that offense around Anthony Richardson. He gets hurt. He's off of the air. Brings in Garner Minshew, a career backup, a pocket passer. And he's built the offense around Gardner Minshew. That's what I'm talking about. Who that is, whether it's Ben Johnson or it's somebody, somebody else on another staff that we don't know about, but someone that can come in and take Justin Fields and, and, and his talents and build around him and build a system that puts him in the, in, in the best position to succeed, along with DJ Moore. Like I said, and some more upgrades on the outside, a receiver, another flex tight end to, to offset Cole Komet, and a running game and a developing young offensive line. That's what I want to see. That's the Christmas gift that I would wish for Justin Fields. I, I put, put my said. name. Uh, yeah, put my name on that from list. <laughs> Dan, yep. Daniel is signing off. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, the Great. Carolina Panthers are hopefully about to gift wrap the Bears the number one pick, too. Uh, so let's hope that that, that has come uh, in the next few weeks. But that is going to do it for this edition of Buffon 55. We can't wait to welcome John back. But thank you all for joining us. And we hope that you have a happy holidays. Merry Christmas. And Hopefully the Bears go out and get a win on Sunday. Yeah. Oh, one last thing. Uh, I got. I, I just got this picture via text of uh, Matt Eberflus and his Christmas tree. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Poor guy. I feel so bad for him. Anyways, happy holidays, everybody. <laughs> Bye, guys.